Marissa and you are listening to From Boise. Today's story is one of my favorites that I have ever written. This is not a new story, but it's probably new to you because I wrote it in like 2021. It's kind of an earlier story. And yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's really cool. And I just thought it was like a good um, kind of like year-end story. Also, the place that I'm talking about is a great place to visit in the winter when you're kind of like looking for inside things to do. So I hope you enjoy it because I love this story. So this is The Curious Life of James Castle, and it was written by me. Also, I know I always say this, but there is like definitely photos that go along with this story. So I encourage you to check out the newsletter, even if it's just like scrolling through to look at the photos. Um, You can find that in your inbox or at fromboise.com. All right, let's do it. James Castle. Does the name ring a bell? Maybe you've driven down Castle Street. Perhaps you're familiar with the James Castle house. You likely read about that in the paper a couple of years ago as it was being preserved. But it's also very possible that no bells are ringing and you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. I get it because I also didn't know who James Castle was until I walked into the beautiful yet unassuming house at 5015 Eugene Street, which is in the Collister neighborhood of West Boise. It looks like any other house in the neighborhood, but within the walls of the modest single-story house, a fascinating life was lived. People around the world have been captivated and inspired by James Castle's work and life for decades. His art has been exhibited in the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C., the Philadelphia Museum of Art, the Zuckerman Museum of Art in Kennesaw, Georgia, the Minneapolis Institute of Arts in Minnesota, the National Museum of Modern Art in Tokyo, Japan, and in many, many more museums all over the world. But probably the coolest place to see James Castle's art and learn more about his life is right here in Boise, Idaho, in the very place that it was created. The house and adjacent shed at 5015 Eugene Street are where James Castle lived, worked, and created. It's where his rise to fame began and his life eventually ended. It's where his art would live on, influencing and impressing people from around the world for decades after his death. So who was James Castle? James Castle was born on September 25, 1899 to Frank and Mary Castle, who both worked as postmasters for the tiny mountain community of Garden Valley, Idaho. James was the fifth of seven children and was born deaf. James began drawing around the age of six years old. He was an entirely self-taught artist with little to no exposure to mainstream art. He attended the Idaho School for the Deaf and Blind in Gooding for about five years, but education was different back then, and he never learned sign language. Though he remained deaf and mostly illiterate for his entire life, James was extremely aware of the world around him. Mackenzie Dunstan, who is the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the City of Boise Arts and History Department, told me about James when I went to visit his house. She said that in a lot of ways, art was his way of communicating and experiencing the world. When James was in his early 20s, he moved with his family from Garden Valley to Star. They lived there until his father's death, and then he moved with his mom to a five-acre property on the outskirts of Boise, which is where the James Castle House is today, though that is not even close to being on the outskirts of Boise anymore. 
James spent bulk of his life at this house in Boise. It's where he created much of his work, often hiding it in the walls or the ceiling of the house. In his adult life, while living in the small house with his sister, brother-in-law, and their four children, he moved into the shed behind the house, which was outfitted to be a studio where he could live and work. Beyond family, friends, and neighbors, James did not share his art publicly until the 1950s. At that time, James's nephew was attending art school in Portland, Oregon, and had brought some of his uncle's art to the school to show his professors. The interest in James Castle's work was immediate. Throughout the 50s and early 60s, James had a few group and solo art shows, including two at the Boise Art Museum. His first local art show was at the 1963 BAM exhibition. As the family story goes, he got to come in early and see all of his art hung up on the walls. It was a very exciting moment for him, but he didn't like how it was arranged. So right before the show starting, he took everything down and completely rearranged it, putting it all back on the walls in the way that he intended for it to be seen before any guests arrived. James Castle died in 1977. After he passed, his family took a step back from sharing his work until the 1990s when his art was featured in an art fair in New York. After that, his work completely took off and his name and legacy have been known around the globe ever since. James Castle's art. As I mentioned before, James was a entirely self-taught artist and a pretty canny one at that. All of his work is done on found materials things like the blank interior of an ice cream carton or a discarded envelope or an old matchbook. He worked with all homemade tools like a sharpened stick and used a mix of soot and spit or laundry bluing for ink. Despite the fact that he could not hear, speak, or read, his work has a common thread. As Mackenzie explained, he seemed to be curious about everything. Nothing was off the table. Everything was worth drawing, investigating, returning to again and again. I think most artists really relate to that. They find things that they really want to zero in on, or they get curious about something and have different movements. But there is a bit more mystery here, right? He didn't date any of his artwork, so we can't put it into any sort of linear perspective. Did he make this on a Tuesday in 1932, and this one on a Wednesday in 1976? Nobody knows. She also said that there is such a wide variety of his work that she thinks everyone kind of gets drawn to something different, which is really exciting. But James Castle's art is usually broken into five categories. There's soot and spit. Castle's soot and spit works are all of the grayscale works that you'll see around his house or in books about James Castle. Dunstan said that this was his technique that he was best known for. He would mix soot from the family's wood-burning fireplace and mix it with his own saliva, and then use a sharpened stick or some kind of other pointy object to apply it to paper. He could really create quite a range with this technique from really soft kind of washes to almost like this darker charcoal color. And he had very, very detailed ability. James also made books. He made a bunch of little books throughout his entire life. And I think that these are my favorite thing that he has made that's in the house. Dunstan said the bookmaking probably came from his time at the Gooding School. The school was originally located in Boise, but had burned down before Castle became a student. So when it was moved to Gooding, the teachers and students had to make all of their own books and materials. It was something he liked to do and just kept that practice going. He would sometimes transcribe other work that he found. 
Like, for example, there's a small book on display in the James Castle house that's filled with different sketches of advertisement for a scotch whiskey. Dunstan said that Castle would take materials, typically food packaging, and get it damp and then rough up the waxy surface. A lot of times he would use ice cream cartons as his chosen substrate. The family obviously really loved vanilla ice cream, as that is often what's on the other side of his work. Castle would then take a variety of highly pigmented papers, sometimes crayons, sometimes colored pencils, sometimes unusual household products like laundry bluing, and then use that to like press the color into the paper. And so those works have this really soft, dreamy like quality to them. Dunstan said that since Castle did not learn how to read or write, as far as we understand, in any kind of clear or literate sense, he was really, really interested in how written communication functions. This shows up in a lot of familiar ways throughout his work. There are these kind of squiggly lines, and then under the picture, there's kind of like shorter squiggly or straight lines, which seems to indicate sentences and then like captions under a photo. And he always seems to use these blocked letters to indicate titles. Dunstan said that she wonders sometimes if it would have been frustrating to not be able to comprehend what's on the page, but he seemed to take like what he saw and kind of remix it in these really unique ways. James also seemed to be really interested in letter form anatomy and would take letters like on a cereal box and then cut them up and put them back together. Dunstan said that it seems like he was just investigating letters in their own form. She said that she thinks about, you know, how there are four languages that use letter forms that we aren't familiar with. It's Japanese or Russian acrylic languages. And she said that she just can like admire the shape, even though she has no idea what it says or how to pronounce it. And so, you know, there is a wonder about like, maybe this was just part of his investigation. Like he was just enjoying the structure of a letter rather than it being any sort of signifier or meaning or understanding the context. James also loved calendars. He collected them and it seems like the imagery was really interesting to him. Dunstan said that he filled the boxes with numbers or letters or these teeny tiny pictures, sometimes which become like a larger image. And um, in his like calendar works, you can see that he returned to the same structure again and again. James also made constructed pieces. He would create these little three-dimensional structures by stitching together layers of found paper, and he would kind of like investigate human forms. There's also doors. There's a lot of doors in his work, as well as like bowls and other things. And again, all of this was self-taught. So as Dunstan said, he would be pulling from his imagination and combining that with like things that he would see in the newspaper or things that were happening around him and then make kind of like his take on it. There's definitely a heavy influence of kind of like printing material culture, which is not unlike other artists that would have been his contemporaries. For example, Andy Warhol. The James Castle House. Today, the James Castle House is a gallery, a historic site, and a museum, and it's also an artist-in-residence location. The main part of the house is where some of Castle's work is on display. And then behind the house is James's shed, which is currently hidden beneath the protective structure while it's undergoing preservation. Though a lot of the shed remains intact, it is over 100 years old and kind of falling apart. 
So it's not yet open for public viewing. I thought about James Castle a lot after I left his house. Um, I wondered, you know, what, what would life be like without all the noise, especially all the noise that we have in our day-to-day lives? I wondered what his life was like being on a constant quest to understand, and I wondered if he was aware of that. I thought about the line between making sense of the day-to-day and creating just because you love it and how the dance between the two never really ends, only changes. I have continued to be struck by how he returned to the seemingly mundane. He drew the challenge butter label like so many times. And while the image remained completely unchanged, he as a person and as an artist did not. He drew calendars over and over and over, yet they're stripped of their universal meaning simply because each calendar was seen with a new lens and with this sense of like imagination and curiosity. And as I wrote this story, I realized that to me, the most intriguing part of James Castle is this return. He constantly was returning to understanding, to curiosity, to what he knew and loved. He was very engaged with his family, and he was always, always, always creating. He constantly went to work to understand and communicate with the world around him. And we are not so different from James because of this one simple fact. We are all on a constant quest to understand the world around us. It shows up in all different ways. I write and I read and I run and I go to places without service. Other people read the news or watch movies or read magazines. Maybe you go for walks or maybe you go to the museum. Maybe you have kids and learning and curiosity is on full display in your house every day. No matter how it shows up in everything we do, there is an opportunity to learn. There's always an opportunity to try and understand, to be curious, to see things from a new lens or a different angle. And that in itself is the essence of being alive. None of us know everything. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing is permanent. And we can always be curious. And we should be. We can always leave space in our life for things to know more and to learn more and to understand, and to look at all the seemingly familiar things from a different angle. It's the return to seeing the world with fresh eyes and an open mind and a listening heart. And that's where life will dazzle you. That's where life happens. And that is what a visit to the James Castle brought to me. What would it reveal to you? You can find out by going to visit the James Castle house. It's free and open to the public. And it is open um, Thursday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. A tour begins at 1 p.m. each of these days, and I highly suggest going on the tour. All right. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find pictures that go along with this story in today's newsletter, which is in your inbox or at fromboise.com. Boise.com.